0: Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm oh, Micah.
1: And I'm Laura.
0: And we're in the right order this Happy week. Happy to
1: fill that
2: gap, you guys.
0: <laughs> and what a change in tone. Oh yeah, Eric's back after he abstains
2: from last week's episode. I absolutely abstained, but having listened to it, I gotta say you guys did a tremendous job, and Tyler is a guest. You talked about the house that... I just couldn't bring myself to sympathize with, (laughs) and you did a great job, and I think I learned a thing or two.
0: Oh, good, good. Well, maybe for a couple of us on the panel, we'll learn a thing or two today as well, because on today's episode, following last week's episode in which we defended Slytherin House, we will now be defending Hufflepuff, the house that was once referred to as having a lot of duffers. And like with last week's episode, we're hoping that this is a resource for those who want to know why Hufflepuff is no joke. So this is in defense of Hufflepuff. But before we get started, just a couple quick reminders. Make sure you're following MuggleCast for free in your favorite podcast app and leave us a review if they allow you to. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media. We are MuggleCast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Follow us there. Hit us up if you have any thoughts about this episode or any other episode. Also, very important, there's one week left to become a patron at patreon.com slash mugglecast and receive this year's physical gift. You can receive the socks. You can receive the car. You can receive both if you pledge at the Slug Club level. Patreon.com slash mugglecast. And all patrons, don't forget, you have to fill out that form by the end of August or we will not be able to send you your gift. So please, with peace and love, Patreon.com slash mugglecast, become a patron today at the Dumbledore's Army level or higher, and you will receive this year's physical gift. So, Eric, let's jump straight into
2: the discussion today. Absolutely. Well, uh, one of the one of my favorite things that you guys mentioned last week, and I think Maybe Tyler was the first person to bring this up, but he he talked about how J.K. Rowling kind of started real bold in the Harry Potter books with Slytherins being, you know, very evil and there's not a wizard or witch who went bad who wasn't in Slytherin. We all know that quote from book one. But Tyler said that, you know, J.K. Rowling kind of backed off towards the end and really tried to almost course correct, which is why in the later books like book six, we get Horace Slughorn, who's, you know, objectively really not an evil character in any way, more nuanced. So, um, you know, funnily enough, as far as the Harry Potter books are concerned, J.K. Rowling kind of chose what she wanted to do with Hufflepuff and kind of just kept going with it. Hufflepuff is the house in the books that's picked last for kickball and, you know, just kind of (laughs) contains... Some people that are like really mean to Harry and the only people that we love from this house uh, die and don't get mm-hmm. to see their, their lives continue after <laughs> the books go on. So it, it's kind of, you know, I, I don't want to compare how slighted the house is compared to Slytherin because I think they both get flack, but I'm thrilled that we were able to talk about Hufflepuff because Hufflepuff really is, I think, done a little dirty in, in the books yeah, themselves. Agreed. They get flack in different ways. Yeah, so uh, I thought we'd start off with a little bit of a fun segment. I've compiled the five most disparaging or damning lines involving Hufflepuff House. And Uh-oh. this is my evidence, so to speak, that Hufflepuff is just treated very poorly by This the is how we got here. Y'all this all is, wonder yeah, how yeah, this we is, got exactly, here. This is how. Exactly. So... <laughs> Andrew, if you wouldn't mind taking the first quote from book one.
0: Sure. Sorcerer's Stone, page 78. Draco says, well, no one really knows until they get there, do they? But I know I'll be in Slytherin. All our family have been. Imagine being in Hufflepuff. I think I'd leave. Wouldn't you? (laughs) So that's the very first mention of Hufflepuff in the book. And it's somebody saying, I think I'd run far away from
2: that house. Not a good intro. Setting Not it up
3: a- for success.
2: Oh, you know, and like this is he's saying it to Harry, who for 11 years of his life didn't know he was a wizard. And Harry's being asked, wouldn't he leave if he after all of that, he finds out he gets his spell books and everything. If he goes to Hogwarts and gets sorted at Alphabuff, wouldn't you leave, Harry? Would I think I would. <laughs> <laughs> four pages later, here's a quote from Hagrid. Micah, you undertake it?
3: Yes. So you can see almost immediately the influence that Draco has over Harry in terms of Hufflepuff. The quote starts from Hagrid saying, schoolhouses, there's four. Everyone says Hufflepuff are a lot of duffers, but... And then Harry, s- Harry says, I bet I'm in Hufflepuff, said Harry gloomily. <laughs> Better Hufflepuff than Slytherin, said Hagrid darkly. There's not a single witch or wizard who went bad who wasn't in Slytherin. You know who was one.
1: And we know that's not true. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, that, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Lockhart was a Ravenclaw. Quirrell, who's the villain in this book, was a Ravenclaw. And Peter Pettigrew was a Gryffindor.
1: Exactly. So
2: Hagrid's a little narrow-minded here. But it's just funny to me that Hagrid says, oh, you know, better to be in Hufflepuff than in Slytherin. But that's not really a defense of Hufflepuff. No,
1: it's really not. It's kind of like Hagrid saying like, it's better for you to be a loser than to be evil, Harry. (laughs)
2: Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, to top it all off in book one, Hufflepuff does get fourth in the house cup. Like, and it's Mm. not close. It's by like 70 points and they're fully like 120 points behind everybody else. So it really just, um, you know, the first Harry Potter book is not great to Hufflepuffs. And that is actually a trend that that keeps going. We know in, in book two, after the Justin Finch-Fletchley incident, who is a Hufflepuff, Hufflepuffs kind of close rank against Harry. And the next quote is them gossiping. And Laura, I'd like you to take it.
1: Yeah. So this is a conversation between Ernie McMillan and Hannah Abbott. Uh, who's someone who we actually focused on within the last few episodes oh. Um, in Chamber of Secrets. And Ernie says, Hannah, he's a parcel mouth. Everyone knows that's the mark of a dark wizard. Have you ever heard of a decent one who could talk to snakes? They called Slytherin himself serpent tongue. And then it says there was some heavy muttering at this. And Ernie went on. Remember what was written on the wall? Enemies of the air. Beware. Potter had some sort of run in with filch. Next thing we know, Filch's cat's attacked. That first year, Creevy was annoying Potter at the Quidditch match, taking pictures of him while he was lying in the mud. Next thing we know, Creevy's been attacked. Then Hannah says, he always seems so nice, though. And, well, he's the one who made you-know-who disappear. He can't be all bad, can he? Then Ernie lowered his voice mysteriously. The Hufflepuffs (laughs) bent closer and Harry edged nearer so that he could catch Ernie's words. And Ernie says, hmm. no one knows how he survived that attack by you-know-who. I mean to say, he was only a baby when it happened. He should have been blasted into smithereens. Only a really powerful dark wizard could have survived a curse like that. <sighs> oh, Ernie.
2: <laughs> oh, Ernie. This, the information is not necessarily wrong. Harry's a parselmouth. Harry defeated you-know-who. But the bias here, they just got it all wrong, you guys. And you know Harry actually confronts Ernie here and it's not it's not good Ernie's just like uh I oh yeah you, you want to prove you don't hate muggles I heard you hate the muggles you live with and it's just like meant to be this nail in the coffin of like you are this evil person and I know I'm right and it just feels sad because the hufflepuffs are like ganging up on Harry but they just they, they don't really have it all all right they don't have the facts and they're just like mongering and just like oh it's just it's it's I feel really bad for my house when I see just kind of how catty they can be and it's unfortunate they're they're not really being intelligent about this
0: yeah can we argue though that this type of behavior this type of thinking was probably happening elsewhere around Hogwarts too
2: it wasn't limited to
1: Hufflepuff 100% so at
2: least there's that I think that's fair Um, Why I say this is a Hufflepuff trait is because it's actually Hufflepuffs value sort of the social aspect of houses. I think more so than the other houses, their whole thing is society and like talking with each other. And one of their big things is, you know, loyalty towards other Hufflepuffs. And so when they, you know, get it's like when you attack a badger, if you guys seen that that honey badger video on YouTube uh, like 10 years ago, if you attack a badger, you'll get stung like, or you'll get you'll get crushed. Mm. So I think that this is a way of showing the negative side to that kind of loyalty that Hufflepuffs
1: have among each other. Well, and I have to imagine that especially as a house, particularly this early on in the core Potter books, that takes so much flack and is kind of given the the social stigma of being like the quote unquote loser house or like the dumb house or whatever adjective you want to put in there, I can see why that group of people would maybe be a little insular at times if they're feeling threatened by outsiders, particularly given the unfair reputation that has been bestowed upon them. And also, we have to point out, Hannah's not convinced of this here. You know, Hannah's trying to push back on it. So that's a great trait. And I think, Eric, you have noted here that um, Justin Finch-Fletchley actually apologizes to Harry after all is said and done.
2: Yes, he apologizes apparently endlessly, it says, which, you know, it's just an apologizing, not necessarily Ernie, but mm. I think that they all, the problem is we aren't also really seeing the good side of Hufflepuff. And this is, this is kind of the thing, like it's, it's written in the books, but it's not shown. Justin apologizing is just one of the hundred things that happened to Harry in the Great Hall that day. And, but we're seeing and having to deal with Harry's guilt and his, you know, witnessing of this gossip. And that portrays the Hufflepuffs as being very gossipy. They don't have all the facts. They're not smart enough to figure it out.
3: Right. Well, I don't think Filch apologized, did he? (laughs) (laughs) But I, I think this is the reaction though to a housemate being attacked in some way, right? Yeah they're they're defensive of their house. And I think had it been any other house, you probably would have seen similar conversation happen. Going back to the point that was raised earlier, it's just that we get a glimpse into what the Hufflepuffs think in this moment. And it's not great for them because we don't get to spend a whole lot of time with them. So we <laughs> right. get these impressions of them. We just yep. read from Sorcerer's Stone, what the general sentiment is. And now here we have them in Chamber of Secrets and they're
2: anti-Harry. So of course we're not going to like them. Right, exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, to find these quotes, I basically just did a find command on the eBooks and searched Hufflepuff. These are like the only scenes that occur outside of Quid- uh, Quidditch that- Interesting. Feature the Hufflepuffs. Yeah, so are them yeah. kind of, you know, not great moments. So yeah. it's it is a bit- Rough, especially in the earlier books, and and you know, I thought with having a champion in Cedric Diggory in year four, we would maybe see, you know, more of a mutual support type sort of thing. But as you know, because Harry's name is also pulled out of the Goblet of Fire, the Hufflepuffs again throughout like the whole books. Remember the Potter stinks badges. um, You know, Cedric himself tries to downplay it, kinda, but. At the same time, the Hufflepuffs feel very slighted and threatened by Harry also being a Hogwarts champion, the second one breaking the rules to do it. And so they're not happy about it either. So this next quote comes from Goblet of Fire, page 293. This is right after Harry's been chosen as the other Hogwarts champion. It says the Hufflepuffs, who were usually on excellent terms with the Gryffindors, had turned remarkably cold toward the whole lot of them. One herbology lesson was enough to demonstrate this. It was plain that the Hufflepuffs felt that Harry had stolen their champion's glory, a feeling exacerbated perhaps by the fact that Hufflepuff House rarely, uh, very rarely got any glory and that Cedric was one of the few who had ever given them any, having beaten Gryffindor once at Quidditch. Ernie McMillan and Justin Fitchfletchley, with whom Harry normally got on very well, did not talk to him, even though they were repotting bouncing bulbs at the same tray, though they did laugh rather unpleasantly when one of the bouncing bulbs wriggled free from Harry's grip and smacked him hard in the face. Come on, guys, it's childish. Harry even thought Professor Sprout seemed distant with him, <laughs> but then she was head of Hufflepuff House yeah and an adult yeah even the adults are like even the like this this kind of um uh tribalism extends into adulthood this is just everyone's
0: disliking Harry but we're here to defend Hufflepuff right so I will say I can definitely feel for the Hufflepuffs here because this was their moment Cedric in the Triwizard Tournament this was their time to shine this was gonna put Hufflepuff on the Marauders map (laughs) And, you know, Harry steals the thunder.
1: And think about how we feel or even just the Internet responds anytime somebody like, you know, kind of gets out of their lane, if you will. (laughs) I can understand that feeling, particularly if you're a house that feels like you don't get very much glory. And I will say in defense of Professor Sprout... Um, teaching is hard and there are a million reasons she might have seemed distant that day. And it may have had nothing to do with the Triwizard Tournament at all. We're also reading this from Harry's point of view. So he's had this negative interaction with two people who he previously thought he was friendly with. And that I could see sort of like setting the tone in his head that like, oh, everybody hates me now. Even Professor Sprout hates me. And that may not have been the case. It's all Harry's perception that we're seeing. Right,
3: I think we talked about this when we did the episode on Professor Sprout. And to Laura's point about Harry, seeing everything through Harry's perspective, he's probably really anxious in this moment too, maybe yeah. just a little bit neurotic because of how everybody is perceiving him. And so it's likely that perhaps Professor Sprout was just having a normal day
2: and he's looking at it just the wrong way. Absolutely. And and had these been sort of isolated incidents, and then there were other instances that we were shown where Hufflepuffs are like friendly and amazing, then I'd be like, oh, Hufflepuffs aren't maligned in the books at all. But the fifth and final most disparaging moment about Hufflepuffs is from Order of the Phoenix. Who can forget the first ever Dumbledore's Army pre-meetup with one a Zacharias Smith, Andrew?
0: Yes, from page 340. He starts, Where's the proof you know who's back? said the blonde Hufflepuff player in a rather aggressive voice. Well, Dumbledore believes it, Hermione began. You mean Dumbledore believes him, said the blonde boy, nodding at Harry. Who are you? said Ron rather <laughs> rudely. <laughs> Who are you? Who are you? <laughs> Zacharias Smith, said the boy. And I think we've got the right to know exactly what makes him say, you know who's back. Zacharias said dismissively, all Dumbledore told us last year was that Cedric Diggory got killed by you-know-who and that you brought Diggory's body back to Hogwarts. He didn't give us details. He didn't tell us exactly how Diggory got murdered. I think we'd all like to know.
2: <sighs> and like, off. yeah, do you guys think Zacharias has a point in that, like he's clearly entitled to some details maybe or isn't he? Dumbledore's word as headmaster should be good enough for him, shouldn't it? Yeah, I- but
0: when something so huge like that happens, so tragic, losing a fellow student, like you're naturally gonna want more answers mm-hmm. when you're grieving. Mm-hmm. So I understand where Zacharias is coming from from that perspective. However, this is probably not the time and place to get into this discussion. Maybe Zacharias could have, you know, reached out to Harry somewhere else or he could have gone directly to Dumbledore or maybe to Sprout. Sprout would know more information. That's true.
1: Yeah. Maybe. I I definitely understand where he's coming from because we have to remember Zacharias does not have the level of access to Dumbledore that Harry has. So I can understand why someone on the outside looking in might think, oh, Harry is Dumbledore's golden boy. I don't have access to those conversations. I don't get the level of explanation that someone like Harry gets. And all I get to hear at the end of a year that was supposed to be a glory year for Hufflepuff is that our champion was murdered. And all we saw was that Harry Potter came back with the body. Yep. I understand the suspicion. Mm
3: -hmm. And I also think it's important to put into context the age of Zacharias right now. He's 15 years old. And to the point raised earlier, he's most likely grieving. He's most likely confused about what's going on. And there's probably a part of him too that just wants to be in the know. He wants information. And Dumbledore, Sprout, they probably should have set up grief counselors or or people or yeah, these students yeah. to talk to well, instead of just treating it like another day at Hogwarts.
1: Yeah. And mm. if you're being asked to join something called Dumbledore's Army, but <laughs> the guy who inspires the namesake of this didn't really give any insight to anyone beyond that end of year speech, I can understand having a few questions. I think it's completely valid to want to check your sources.
2: So, but because this is through Harry's perspective, and even Ron and Hermione are having to, like, sputter to defend Harry here, we kind of just see Zacharias as a prick, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. objectively, he's got a point, or it's fair to, like, want to know more, but Harry's also not going to divulge that, especially in front of Cho, but also in general. Harry has no tolerance for being questioned in that manner. Mm-hmm. And when they're all like Harry's friends here and all of a sudden this Zacharias Smith, who is he, comes up. So I guess my point in summarizing all of these quotes is just to say that Hufflepuff is the biggest antagonist to Harry
1: <laughs>
2: next to Slytherin. Anybody that's, that's giving, you just don't have the Ravenclaws acting out like this. You don't, like in none of the books. It's
3: interesting though, Eric, that you see this edginess from two characters that are both Hufflepuffs. You see it from Ernie first, and then you see it from Zacharias later on. And I don't know, is that a quality of, not necessarily in a negative way, but just the edginess, the combativeness almost in a way.
2: Yeah. Well, I'd I'd say it goes to representation, right? Don't poke the badger. Yeah. Well, (laughs) right. Don't poke the badger. Hannah Abbott Seems nice, but she also doesn't get her close-up the way Zacharias and Ernie do. Um, You know, we don't find out about her or her thoughts or how her brain works. However, we are treated to the other two. So it's just an example of, you know, these are the biggest excerpts involving Hufflepuffs in all seven Harry Potter books. So coming out of the book's publication in 2007, I was no, uh, I was not um rushing to change house from gryffindor to hufflepuff nothing in the books themselves urged me to declare allegiance to the house where people gossip and give harry crap <laughs> it maybe this is what
3: happens though when you take all the rest mm. there's just a weird cross-section of of students.
0: Yeah, hodgepodge. Well, I think to defend these attitudes that you see in these scenes, you could just argue that they're standing up for what's right. They they just want answers. There's nothing wrong with that.
1: Yeah, and they want to protect their own, right? Because again, we have this sense that the Hufflepuffs are, they're constantly treated like they're in fourth place at Hogwarts Mm -hmm. all the time. That's kind of the brand that has been foisted upon them. And I understand why it would make you edgy, especially when a very near and dear member of your house is killed. I think if I were to put myself in the shoes of these characters and sort of put myself in a mindset of being 15 years old and dealing with that, I don't know that I would have the best reactions to this either.
0: Yeah, We have more to discuss concerning Hufflepuff, but first a word from this week's sponsor, UE Fits. You know, everyone is a great fit for Hufflepuff House, and UE Fits are also a great fit for your ears. Ultimate Ears Fits True Wireless Custom Fit Earbuds creates earbuds that are made for your ears, offering you earbud comfort you've never experienced until now. These earbuds are incredible. The first time you set them up, they will literally change their shape to perfectly fit within your ears. They do this through a molding process the first time you put them on. The earbuds gently warm up as they're molding to your ears, then they light up purple, and that purple light makes the molds harden. There is nothing else like this out there, and it's such a great idea because we shouldn't settle for earbuds that aren't made for our ears. We need ones created for us, especially because of how often we're using them. So combine this idea with the Soundmasters at Ultimate Ears, and not only will they fit great, but you'll also get amazing sounds. These are built on industry-leading expertise, trusted by pro musicians and hi-fi enthusiasts for over 25 years. I got to experience these, and I am in love with them. They truly fit perfectly after the Purple Light Magic, they sound amazing, and it's one of those things that once you try, you wonder where they've been all your life. And rest easy, because if you try FITS and don't love them as much as I do, no worries, Ultimate Ears offers a 30-day money-back guarantee. Plus, you'll get free shipping, free returns, and a one-year warranty. For a limited time, get 15% off your pair of Ultimate Ears FITS True Wireless Earbuds at ue.com slash fits. Just use promo code MuggleCast at checkout. That's 15% off with promo code MuggleCast at ue.com slash fits.
2: So... I, I love what you guys are saying and I, and I appreciate it because I think that we're about to see different angles from Hufflepuffs other than like the straight interpretation of what we see these characters do and say in the books, which is nice. So moving into kind of an overall, we're going to talk about house traits like you guys did for Slytherin, which is really, really important. Um, first, Micah, I see you have a point on Hufflepuff house in general. This was something that came to mind when I was listening to
3: our last episode on Slytherin. And I know, Andrew, you and I and Eric spoke about this a little bit last night. But I'm just wondering, and and this is not necessarily how I feel, but I'm wondering in the way that J.K. (laughs) Rowling has come up with this name, what's the first thing that we think of when we hear the name Hufflepuff? Does it sound a bit doofy to, to the rest of the uh
0: <laughs> <laughs> And what's doofy here? mean? Define it's Silly, doofy. Well, like,
3: like not silly. serious. Like if you think about the yes. other names of the houses, right? They inspire something, right? It, just in the name itself. It's like very yeah. definitive, very solid. There's no rhyming going on. It's Slytherin, Ravenclaw, Gryffindor, and then Hufflepuff.
0: It's just well, not- Well,
2: let's start with-
0: Eric, the- what's your point? Because I want to, I want to go off of this.
2: Well, I have the pleasure of actually remembering what I first thought of when I heard about Hufflepuff, which was the tale of the three little pigs. I'll huff and I'll <laughs> puff and I'll blow your house down, says the wolf, and he's like, I don't know, just boister- or blistering, you know, mad about what the pigs have done and shutting him out. So. I just thought of like a children's fairy tale, which is like, okay, kind of fitting for a fantasy series involving kids, but also like the big bad wolf gets his own. And also you're not supposed to aspire to be the big bad wolf. And that's not an accurate representation of what the kids in that house are.
0: The name does sound flimsy to me. Hmm. I'll blow your house down. Maybe that's maybe because I'm thinking of the three little pigs, but Huffle, that's not like. A word of strength. <laughs> and Puff is just blow like it's a very flimsy, light name word.
3: Right. So that's why I wondered if in creating this name, that also lends itself to why there's this stigma about Hufflepuff House, because the name itself fails to inspire any sort of confidence in. in in even saying it. And I know we're gonna get a lot of emails for this, but I also looked up, you know, just for for some comparison, I happened across a few other translations of what Hufflepuff is like in other languages. And I think some of them are a bit worse. I have two here to share with you. (laughs) The first is French, pouf souffle. Oh my God. Could that be souffle? souffle? Yeah. (laughs) No, there's no accent on the E. So, okay. So, it's just, but if at least in the ones, the versions that I saw, and then Welsh, and my Welsh is not going to be very good, but the way that it was phonetically spelled out was hoofty poof. (laughs) Oh (laughs) my God. So, if we think this is bad in English, (laughs) it's definitely better. It's definitely worse in at least to other
2: languages. Oh my goodness. Hoofty <laughs> poof. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So so if this was the experience reading the Harry Potter books when it first came out, and I think it was, universally by everybody, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I think that's the general consensus. It wasn't until a couple years later, like 2010-ish, where I felt that J.K. Rowling was really trying to right a wrong or... Starting to tilt the other way, because, again, in the Harry Potter books, we have Cedric Diggory and also Nymphador Tonks. Strangely, we don't actually find out Tonks is a Hufflepuff until Pottermore, which happens years after the last book. But regardless, both of those heroes die. Cedric dies right away, doesn't even get to do a Voldemort, dies. Tonks has a very depressing Kind of, she's in her head all throughout book six and then has a kid and dies. So there's no Hufflepuff heroes in the books. Mm -hmm. And that said, there's this quote from J.K. Rowling, which it's on YouTube, there's a video of it. But she's talking about, she's asked the question, what would you say to people who are sorted into Hufflepuff and are upset about
0: it? So the author said... In many ways, Hufflepuff is my favorite house. Here's my reasoning. There comes a point in the final book where each house has a choice whether or not to rise to a certain challenge. Everyone in the house. For reasons that are understandable, the Slytherins decide they'd rather not play. The Ravenclaws? Some decide they will, some don't. The Hufflepuffs, virtually to a person, stay, as do the Gryffindors. Now, the Gryffindors comprise of a lot of foolhardy and show-offy people. That's just how it is. There's bravery, and there's also showboating. Sometimes the two go together. The Hufflepuffs stayed for a different reason. They weren't trying to show off. They weren't being reckless. That's the essence of Hufflepuff House. My oldest child, my daughter Jessica, said something very profound to me not very many days ago. She said to me, I think we should all want to be Hufflepuffs. I can only say to you that I would not be too disappointed to be in that house.
2: Well, how about that? Color me (laughs) surprise. Color me yellow and black, actually. We should all want to be Hufflepuffs. Nothing in the book supports this except her interpretation of the events of the final battle.
1: Well, I think, too, we have to remember, again, we're still seeing these events through Harry's point of view, right? So Harry is not going to think of Gryffindor as a show-offy, right? Because he is a Gryffindor. Right. So I think it would be hard for Harry to maybe have this level of awareness about the qualities that make someone truly a Hufflepuff. I mean, bravery is a great thing, but bravery without loyalty Bravery without conscience can go the wrong way, right? And loyalty and conscience are things that Hufflepuffs have in droves, mm-hmm. I would argue. So
2: it it definitely this interview or this interview answer and coupled with the Pottermore sorting quiz, which I took and got Hufflepuff, um, were really, I think, the first steps that were being taken towards. Kind of just healing the uh, malignancy or healing the opinion of Hufflepuff that might have come out of less than typical representation in the books, like less than positive. Like Hufflepuff is the one house that Harry doesn't go to the common room of. Like that's neither here nor there. But when you look at it and you're like, oh, yeah, why did he never visit Hufflepuff? It's like, oh, were they not interesting enough? Were they not central enough to the plot? Because he went to all the other common rooms so it's stuff like that but, but there are a bunch of duffers that's why he There are a bunch go. of duffers yeah he's not gonna want to go hang out with a lot of duffers I mean, comfy <laughs> uh, comfy seats or not
1: and see so- I think that he's probably missing out because we know Hufflepuff's common room is near the kitchens
3: uh-huh Ron would love it yeah If he cared about Ron he would have taken him there
1: yeah I mean <laughs> we just I feel like there's probably a lot of good times he missed out on in the Hufflepuff common room They have an affinity for herbology. Do the Hufflepuffs get all
0: the leftover food at the end of each day?
1: Maybe. Probably. Because they're nice. I could see the elves being like, you guys are nice. Here, have all this leftover food. <laughs>
2: yeah. Don't try to I, free us, but we'll feed you. I used
3: to love that at work because I was right by like one of the really important conference rooms. And so we used to get all the leftovers from like all the catering <laughs> that would go on. It was fantastic. So I definitely wouldn't mind it's, being uh, it's a sweet close deal. to the kitchens.
2: Yeah. Well, so let's go back to basics the sorting hat songs. What are. The traits that actually, on paper, make up a Hufflepuff.
0: Well, in year one, the Sorting Hat says, you might belong in Hufflepuff where they are just and loyal. Those patient Hufflepuffs are true and unafraid of toil.
2: So okay. Just, just and loyal. A strong sense of, of justice.
0: Yeah. That's Those good. patient Hufflepuffs. So they're patient. There's a lot packed into these four lines. But who are they yeah, loyal patient, to? Just-
3: Themselves or everybody? I think
0: hmm. anybody who places their trust in them, they'll be loyal to any friend. Yeah, I
2: think Except that's Harry. kind of that's yeah, <laughs> right. Not Harry. Well, not after he Those are special circumstances.
0: Not until he, Deathly
2: Hallows. The right.
0: Sorting Hat was going to get into how the uh, Hufflepuffs would treat Harry, but he had to cut it for time.
2: <laughs> this is it, um yeah. So so this is kind of what I'm getting at. Is saying Hufflepuff is the most social house, though that 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 loyalty, that kind of like, you know, they'll be friends and they'll be good friends to you type aspect is how I read into that.
3: What I find interesting too is that Hufflepuff is really the house that does come around in the end. You know, we just Mm -hmm, sat there and read quotes from four or five different books and J.K. Rowling just talked about how it's the Hufflepuffs who in the end stand next the Gryffindors in the Battle of Hogwarts, and then you only have some of the Ravenclaws and really none of the Slytherins. And so I think there was probably an expectation that it would be Slytherin that would, you know, do an about face and maybe get Draco and and some of his pals to join with Harry. But it's actually like in looking at this, it's Hufflepuff that yeah. that does kind of come back in the end and stand as loyal. To Gryffindor.
1: And honestly, yeah, yeah. there's something to be said. And I think that sometimes where you get into trouble with having house discussions is it can be really easy to pigeonhole a whole group of people into a, a very short list of characteristics. I mean, we can dig into kind of like we talked about with Slytherin, like it is a spectrum, right? Like you're going to find different people who represent Hufflepuff differently I mean Hepsiba Smith and Hannah Abbott are very different characters right but they're both Hufflepuffs
2: mm-hmm. um right. so the
1: follow-up to that is that it's it's a special kind of personality that is able to admit when they were wrong um. that's exceedingly rare think about especially with online culture think of Twitter culture think about how hard it is for people to admit that they've had a change of heart or that they were wrong or that they've changed their mind in the face of new information. I think yes. that's one of the things that makes Hufflepuff most special there. I think that their North star is the truth as they know it. And when that truth changes, or when it evolves, or when they learn more about what it means, what defines that truth, they continue following that North Star.
2: Amen. right. That was a dynamite point. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I love that a lot.
0: In year four, the Sorting Hat says, For Hufflepuff, hard workers were most worthy of admission.
2: This line about hard workers, now, I think we can all agree that that is an amazing trait, right, for anyone to have is... Really being able to put in the time, you know, patience was a trait earlier, but also just being hardworking is a good quality. We would hate for people to be always apathetic or lethargic because nothing in government or otherwise would actually get done.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it can be it can be really hard to be a self-starter. It's it's not very common or just to be self-motivated, you know, to get up and want to go to work. So I really admire Hufflepuffs for for being hard workers, for not being lazy. That's how I take this one. Yeah,
2: and it's kind of interesting to pair this alongside Slytherin's ambition. Hufflepuffs are not characterized as ambitious people, but like that's not what drives them the most but the ability to do hard work and they won't always be also the most studious people they aren't the ravenclaws they're not going to always you know be able to be academically as good but they will do the hard work required to get to those places to fulfill their dreams while you know basically through merit through actually doing the things um it's very interesting to compare and contrast why a house would be said to be the hardworking house comparatively because everyone in school works hard. Not everyone. Well, okay. I. Well, we'd like to believe that people work hard in each house, I'll say.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So getting on to sort of the 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 only other Sorting Hat song we have, and this is a very interesting point about Hufflepuffs in education. Andrew, go ahead.
0: Yeah. So in year five, the hat says, said Hufflepuff, I'll teach the lot and treat them just the same. Good Hufflepuff. She took the rest and taught them all she knew. This
2: is a big one. That's huge. So we have Salazar Slytherin who says, those who are pure of blood, they're the ones for me. Gryffindor's like, yeah, loyal, brave, pure of heart. We're going to do that. You know, totally Gryffindor out. Ravenclaw is like, Oh, the most studious, the smartest ones that I'm going to teach them. And Hufflepuff is left with everyone else, but you know what? She doesn't miss a beat. She says, I'll teach the lot and treat them just the same. So I see a real almost ableism in the philosophies of the other founders in comparison. When you're talking about a magical school, I mean, these aren't like private individuals that are running a non-public academy here that can pick and choose students. You have the entire wizarding community of Britain, and they're gonna come to you because they need to be trained up. And Hufflepuff is the one that says, I'm gonna take everyone. I'm gonna take everyone else. Whoever's, you know, doesn't strictly fit into the other houses, I'm gonna take them. And it's really important when you're talking about educating our children to have a no discrimination policy.
1: Period. Yeah. And it can be easier said than done. Um, We are all subject to a level of bias, be it unconscious. And if We'll even just break it down to, you know, teaching a particular subject matter. If you routinely express favor for and admiration of and promotion of only the students who excel in the areas that resonate with you, then that's not an inclusive way to run a classroom or a school. Um I've talked about this on the show a little bit before. I am formerly a teacher. I've been out of uh, education as a field for several years at this point. So there are certainly um, current educators who would probably be far better to speak to this than I would. But running an inclusive environment is a constant work in progress because we are all human beings and we're all fallible. And uh, we're all subject to confirmation bias as well, right? So if, yeah. you're, if your favorite student is also really, really talented in your preferred field, then of course you're naturally going to gravitate towards that person. But as educators, we need to be careful to check ourselves and ensure that we're affording the same level Of opportunity to all students. And I think this is one of the areas where maybe the founders fell short, Um, even certain teachers at Hogwarts who really express a great preference for students who excel in their subject matter, um, carry that kind of um, unfortunate social phenomenon forward. It's not anything new. Certainly. But I think this is another thing that makes Hufflepuff very special, which is that this idea that anyone can come into a school and they may not um, they may not fit this criteria of being pure of blood. They may not be brave. They may not be book smart, but that they still have a place at the school. They still deserve to be there and they still deserve to receive the same education as everyone else. Because maybe some of Mm -hmm. those qualities will come out in them later in their education.
2: Everyone's 11 for crying
1: out loud. Exactly. Right.
3: I was going to say when you were running through that checklist of criteria that some may be brave, some may be intellectuals, and it's just, we don't know yet. But I do think it's, it's important that we're looking through it this lens now, but I don't know that we would have necessarily looked at it this way when we were reading the book for the first Mm -hmm. time and when kids read these books for the first time, because I think they might subscribe to more of a mentality like Hagrid had in viewing the Hufflepuffs as a bunch of duffers because of the way that JK Rowling positions Hufflepuff house in the sense that, okay, well- Slytherin, Gryffindor, Ravenclaw—they all had their pick, and Hufflepuff's just going to take the rest. So yeah, right. Yeah, it's like you said earlier, Eric. Pick last for kickball. Pick last for kickball. It's it's the perception that's created around Hufflepuff House by the author. To me, that's who really positions them in this type of light. But you know, now that we're reading it as adults and we're looking at these. You know characteristics these lines from the sorting hat we did this with slytherin right we We yeah. deeply analyzed it last week through a different type of of lens, and I think that yeah it's it's super important that she's willing to just take the rest and and treat them the same and give them the best education possible,
1: yeah,
0: thank goodness for hufflepuff and I will add, you know we we heard Rowling's comments earlier. they don't really mean much. Because like you were just saying, Micah, kids are going to start reading these books today as we speak. There are new readers. And they're going to be reading this stuff. They might happen to go on YouTube and see a clip years down the road. But 100% of the Harry Potter readers are reading all the Hufflepuff hate in the books right so it's it's kind of useless to to years later say oh you know what they're not bad and here's here's why you know an interviewer just happens to ask her and then she finally kind (laughs) of clears the her daughter i can't my daughter yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, and you know what i didn't even have this thought my daughter did it just happened to say it the other day and i
2: mean we didn't mention this earlier but the house ghost the fat friar we know how J.K. Mm-hmm. Rowling feels about fat characters in Harry Potter, too. Like, it's just one thing after the other. Like, why, why, did, why can't they just call him Friar Tuck or something? Why is it Fat yeah. Friar? The friendly Friar. Yeah. He's, like, jovial about it, you know. He's, right. he's robust or he's rotund because he's eaten well and lived a good life, right? That's yeah. the part that doesn't necessarily come across in the name. He could be the mm-hmm. friendly Friar, to your point. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like in that case, fat and friendly are used as interchangeable terms, Mm -hmm. whereas there are other cases in the book where um, the descriptor of somebody's uh, body dimensions may not necessarily be correlated with a positive uh, personality or characteristic. Mm -hmm. But I think all of this, this conversation that we're having about sort of the reclaiming of Hogwarts houses is what makes fandom so special. Because fandom is really where this all got started. Fandom is what we have to thank for Hufflepuff pride.
0: That's so true. Yeah. It, and actually, 100%. we should give a shout out at some point during this episode to Puffs the Play, Yep, the Harry Potter stage play <laughs> that is dedicated to Hufflepuffs. And it's a love letter to Hufflepuffs. I believe somebody in our Discord who's listening live right now, Beth, She's listening live via our Patreon. She said, I love that this episode is recording one day after the two-year anniversary of closing night for Puffs the Play.
2: (laughs) So that's beautiful. I Yeah. And I'll, I'll say too, like the best sort of people in life, I feel have a good nature, a good spirit about, they they can be a little self-deprecating. They don't take themselves too seriously. No matter what your personality, I think it's a good trait to have where you can kind of laugh at yourself sometimes and Puffs of Play very much kind of carries on in that spirit with Hufflepuffs due to that sort of stigma.
1: And I will say something that I really like about um, these two episodes we've had back to back, you know, we had our defensive Slytherin and now our defensive Hufflepuff. Um, my partner is a Slytherin. And I said on last week's episode, he's the best person I know. Uh, my best friend is a Hufflepuff. And I've known her for more than half of my life at this point. And I can say with 100% certainty that my life is better because she's been in it. And she, I know you're over there awing, um, but she's, she really exemplifies a lot of what we're talking about today because she wasn't originally a Hufflepuff. She kind of adopted Hufflepuff and was adopted into Hufflepuff House and she embraced it and really embodies a lot of what we're talking about on the show today. So I consider myself lucky to have two of the most important people in my life, Represent Slytherin and Hufflepuff houses. Aww. Aww.
2: And Eric. <laughs>
1: <Yep>. <laughs> and, I, and I'm here
2: too. I, I'm I'm thrilled to be part Obviously, of your life.
1: Obviously, I I feel like yeah. it goes without saying. We do this together every week. So I
2: know. I know. No, the feeling is mutual. So I've told this story about. On the show before, too, about how the, it was really the Pottermore welcome letter that made me. So I was having a crisis after being sorted on the old Pottermore, the original. <laughs> Eric I was, was like, on Oh the my floor, God. I
0: got he what was am in I tears do? in the fetal position. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Like, what's going on? It's like, this can't be right. I'm going to click next anyway. There's a button that says next. I'm going to click it. And it wasn't until I read and, you know, right away it pops up, but like really read and internalized the welcome letter that I thought, wow, okay, not only is this me, but there are traits to Hufflepuffs that I haven't previously thought about that I now feel very aligned with. And I actually changed houses. I I felt comfortable. Some people were like, ah, Pottermore sort of made as a Gryffindor. I know I'm a Ravenclaw, screw Pottermore. But I actually went through the trouble of admitting, yes, now I'm a Hufflepuff. For many years, did <laughs> the
0: trouble, and you went to the Wizarding World theme park, and you bought the Hufflepuff crew neck sweater, and I was there that day buying a Slytherin
2: one. I, we both changed <laughs> houses at the same time. um I love that. Well, I didn't do it because no. I wanted to be a badass. I did it because <laughs> I was like admitting that I was no longer a Gryffindor. You
3: both, yeah, yeah, you both ditched Gryffindor, yeah.
0: We did, we did. And we need a Gryffindor on this panel now, maybe.
2: (laughs) So here's some uh, information and tidbits from that welcome letter. We're not going to read the whole thing because it's long, but it is fully available on the internet. So I would recommend it. Um, But in case anyone was wondering why the emblem is the badger, and I did mention that honey badger video, which you should absolutely see. uh, But the welcome letter actually answers that question. Our emblem is the badger, an animal that is often underestimated. Because it lives quietly until attacked, but which can provoke, uh, but which when provoked can fight off animals much larger than itself, including wolves. That's actually pretty badass. Um, The letter goes on to say, Hufflepuff is certainly the least boastful house, but we've produced just as many brilliant witches and wizards as any other. We produce more than our fair share of powerful, brilliant, and daring witches and wizards, but... Just because we don't shout about it, we don't get the credit we deserve. Ravenclaws, in particular, assume that any outstanding achiever must have come from their house. <laughs> so like, True. I kind of also think like you got to kind of make noise in this world that we live in. You got to make noise to be heard. And that might not be in a Hufflepuff's um, sort of skill set or they you know, like I often find this about myself is like I'm. Although I talk a lot, I'm not always the most boastful person about my accomplishments. And I think that it's caused others to succeed who are, who were better than me at that.
0: Okay. Are you taking
2: credit for other people's success because you didn't brag about your own? No, not at all. That wasn't a threat. I'm saying, have you guys ever experienced like people who are louder getting better, more recognition than you? Sure. At anything. Yeah. I think a good way to yeah. think
1: about this is how, like, who are you when you interview for a job? Mm. Like, what is selling yourself look like when you're interviewing for a job? Right. And how comfortable are you with doing it?
0: Or sometimes, you know, there's a common phrase, you know, it it can't hurt to ask. Just like ask a favor or ask for a job. Ask something that might lead to greater things. That's kind of what you're talking about, Eric. Like you'd be surprised. You know, some people are successful because they're not afraid to ask, they're not afraid to take that leap.
2: Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, the ambitious angle, if we're talking about Slytherin being ambitious and Hufflepuff not, I lack some of those ambitious uh, traits that would otherwise have me asking friends for help or asking. Um, for a leg up or a way in or a foot under the door the way you have to when you're, for instance, seeking a new job. Right. So, I feel that. I, I just guess yeah. I, I'm saying I identify with that quieter aspect of Hufflepuff in terms of self-advocacy. Um, but let no one ever say sense. I'm not hardworking. Right. right. I got you. And it can, yeah. it
1: can be hard to learn to advocate for yourself because, again, it is a learned skill um it's not something any of us are born with i think that kind of like all of these conversations about the houses are going it's something that's attained over time there are some people who are more comfortable uh putting on that hat and there are some people who have to work a little harder to get there to get to that comfort mm-hmm. level but it doesn't mean you can't get there it just means it's not your default preference right
2: yeah well one thing that i'll be interested in following in however many Fantastic Beasts films that we get um, remaining, that's an open question. Um, <laughs> but with Newt Scamander, he, we see how brilliant he is. And and the the love of animals is also this huge hovelpuff trait now that seems to be going really well. I know all houses have pets, but it seems like Newt's communion with animals is being portrayed as like something to do with his... Hufflepuff nature more than everything, is patience with learning what each of these animals need, his hard work in creating a housing environment for each of them in his case, all of that. But I'd like to make sure that whatever J.K. Rowling's plans are for the future, that Newt does succeed, not because he's Dumbledore's favorite. There was kind of this thing where Dumbledore in movie two put him in that position to be in New York at the time with Credence, et cetera, et cetera. And I'd like no more hand, uh, no more leg ups from Dumbledore, please. I'd like to see Newt succeed because of his brilliance and really get an actual Hufflepuff action hero.
0: Yeah, that would be great. Justice for Hufflepuff.
2: Justice for Hufflepuff. That might actually be a really
3: nice segue. Similarly to how we started off, uh, we'll mention Helga Hufflepuff. I think that's a pretty simple one to include. And then next up, we actually have a witch named Bridget Wenlock. So she was listed on Pottermore as being one of the most famous Hufflepuffs through the ages. She was a famous 13th century witch celebrated for her skills in arithmancy Protective of her theorem, she wrote many of her ideas down in invisible ink, making them somewhat easy to misplace. Bridget was the first to discover the magical significance of the number seven. Ooh.
0: Well, so, that alone is super cool. So. Yeah. That's
2: big. Probably yeah. due to being patient and taking your time and saying, hey, wait a minute, everybody else is just using the number seven. But I've realized that the closer you look at this, there's something here, you know, kind mm-hmm. of a thing. <laughs> Cedric Diggory, we talked a little bit about
3: him earlier in the episode.
2: (laughs) Amos, is that you? My boy. I gotta say, when everyone else is upset with Harry for having his name out of the goblet and, you know, Igor Karkaroff and Madame Maxime are all blaming Dumbledore in the trophy room and Mad-Eye comes in, Cedric, to his credit, is not outraged. He does not say anything like, surely this was cheating because Crumb and Fleur absolutely do. But Cedric kind of keeps quiet. He looks bemused. He's kind of just not, you know, gazing at Harry, because I think he thinks that something was amiss, but he's not going to accuse Harry flat out. And he just kind of stays quiet and waits for the adults to sort it out. And that's exactly what happens. So bless Cedric. Mm. He was probably just happy to have somebody along along for the ride with him that he knew. (laughs) Yeah. Well, they certainly develop a friendship when it comes to, you know, giving each other the leg up on the competition. And I, I think by the end, when Harry recommends they both go for the cup, by that point, they're, you know, even then, Cedric's not expecting that level of affection and friendship and, and sort of trust. And that's what he grins. And then they go for it. Right. Laura, a friend to the end.
3: You mentioned Hepsibah Smith earlier, and uh if we were sort of putting these characters on a spectrum i i think she might be at the far end of one <laughs> just in terms of her nature she's definitely arrogant um you know she claims to have been one of the direct descendants of helga hufflepuff she treats hoki not very well um so If, in fact, she was in Hufflepuff, uh, the traits of that house do not shine brightly through her.
1: Yeah. She kind of reminds me of Slughorn in some ways. Mm -hmm. I mean, we don't get to see very much of her, but I think she just goes to show there are various dimensions that can be represented in each of these houses. It's like there's no one way to be a Hufflepuff, just like there's no one way to be a Slytherin.
2: When you mentioned the mistreatment of Hokie, a lot of that comes from her lack of self-awareness. You know, she she likes the drink and she is not self-aware to realize that she's being taken in by Tom Riddle. But then who is? A lot of people fell victim to Tom Riddle, but it's uncomfortable reading you know the scene with Hepzibah, and you know in the memory when when Dumbledore and Harry visit and see that she is a person who quite easily, by Voldemort's standards, is being taken in and being victimized. Um, Hepzibah Smith is another Hufflepuff victim, the way that Cedric is, and the way that Tonks it arguably is.
3: Right, and she's certainly enamored with Tom Riddle, taken by him, but even. Putting that aside, she always gave me the feeling of just having been this upper-class elitist type of individual.
2: Yeah, I agree.
3: So switching gears slightly, let's talk about the brothers Scamander. Both Newt and Theseus were Hufflepuffs. I did not know this about Theseus until I was doing some research for the show.
2: That's amazing. I like that a lot. I would have assumed Gryffindor for obvious reasons. Um, You know, he's basically works uh, as part of the magical defense squad and he's just seems more athletic and competent than his brother he's also a bit more headstrong he's chosen a side whereas newt has not he's less of a pacifist i guess is what i'm saying so finding (laughs) out that theseus was in hufflepuff speaks more to the i guess the hardworking nature he's he's working Mm. in government and he's putting in the hard work to get where he needs to be
1: I think they're both hardworking, but in very different ways. Mm
0: -hmm. And Newt will, I mean, Newt by then in the movie chooses a side. So,
1: yeah. Plot twist he sides with Grindelwald. Uh, uh, Yeah. Yeah. Because killing
2: Leto was something he's like, thank you so much. I'm going to join you now. (laughs) (laughs) You killed my fiance for one less thing I have to do. This would be another
3: (laughs) example, though, of J.K. Rowling trying to course correct. I know we've talked about it with. Yeah, Newt and the Fantastic Beasts series, but having another character like Theseus uh, would certainly speak to that as well.
0: Yeah, because I think we found out with the first movie we didn't know prior to that that he was a Hufflepuff because we see he opens a suitcase and there's a Hufflepuff scarf. I don't don't quote me on that. If that was the first time, we may have known before, but maybe I think that's know
3: space. That it was widely known maybe if you looked it uh-huh. up online this is right his house was listed but it newt is point.
0: bringing hufflepuff mainstream with the exactly. fantastic Beasts franchise yeah
3: mm-hmm. all right the uh we've done an entire episode on her the head of hufflepuff house professor sprout love her
0: so see that episode for more <laughs> yep
3: <Yeah. laughs> how about talks we talked a little bit about her earlier on in the episode
2: surprised that she was in hufflepuff No, I love it. Um, But the one thing I'll say, there's a quote from Order of the Phoenix, page 170, where she reveals why Tonks uh, Tonks reveals why she was never a prefect. She says, I was never a prefect myself. My head of house said I lacked certain necessary qualities. And Ginny bites. She says, like what? And Tonks says, like the ability to behave myself. So Tonks has no self-restraint. She's clumsy as all heck. What an addition to Hufflepuff. But then again, she works real hard with her innate gift of metamorphmagic and she's able to become an Auror. So that's kind of neat. And Tonks, a fan-favorite character, she's definitely given Hufflepuff a good name, I think, so. Yeah, but again, not revealed to be a Hufflepuff. She just says, my head of house said I lacked certain qualities, and it's not revealed until um, it's actually a chat in December of 2007 with Time Magazine.
0: So. See, again, this post-book.
2: Post-book. Oh, yeah, Hufflepuff. In the yeah. book, she could have been anything. She could have been yeah. Gryffindor. She could have been Slytherin even. We Just don't know.
3: And for those who are wondering, the episode where we talk about Professor Sprout is episode 513. So not that long ago where we talked about her. And then the last few listed here are, are some that maybe – listeners have heard of some maybe not i honestly hadn't heard of most of these uh, but hengist of woodcroft so this is the founder of hog'smeade hardworking that's cool enough in and of itself harry yep. actually learns about him on first trip on the hogwarts express is on a chocolate frog card
1: oh,
0: hardworking cool. welcoming of all as he long as you a village. have an ad- yeah. as long as you have a letter from your guardian Right. Yep.
1: I mean, he created the only economy around Hogwarts, right? Yep. <laughs> like,
2: yeah.
3: Yeah. And the only wizarding village for what, miles?
1: Yeah. Miles. He probably had a,
2: a Ravenclaw balance his books, I'm guessing. But other than that, <laughs> great guy.
3: Mm-hmm. So we also have left here two ministers for magic. The first is Grogan Stump. He began his duties um, back in 1811, particularly addressed the nomenclature of beings and beasts. He was an immensely popular minister, one of probably the most popular ministers in history. He decreed that a being was, quote, any creature that has sufficient intelligence to understand the laws of the magical community and to bear part of the responsibility in shaping those laws. And by doing so, he settled a debate that had been going on in the wizarding world since the, since the 14th century. Stump created the three divisions of the Department for the Regulation and Control of Magical creatures, creatures, Beast, Being, and Spirit Divisions.
2: That's incredibly important. You know, just coming to some agreement because this involves governing peoples with intelligence. That need protection and need, or also to be left alone by the ministry. That really sets in stone what will happen.
3: And worth saying, too, was the longest serving minister from 1811 to 1891. Ooh. So 80 so years well loved. pulling wow. a Michael Bloomberg. <laughs> and finally, we have Artemisia Lufkin. She was the first female minister for magic. It's, it's said that it's likely that after her appointment, several of the oldest Wizengamo wizards stepped out of their positions in protest. She served as minister for 13 years, being succeeded in the post by none other than Grogan Stump, who we just
2: talked about. Oh. So back-to-back <laughs> couple back by a man. Back-to-back <laughs> I back love Hufflepuff. that. Nice. I love that so much. Yeah, she's a rebel rouser.
1: Yeah, I know. I hear about all of these uh, male... Wise and Gamow members stepping down. I'm like, okay, bye.
0: (laughs) We'll hear from our listeners about Hufflepuff in a moment. But first, this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Taking care of your mental health is one of the most important things you can do for yourself. And if you think there's something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals, check out BetterHelp. They will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist who you can work with via voice, video, or text chat. BetterHelp lets you easily and quickly get started with therapy right from wherever you are right now. Within 48 hours, you can start speaking with a therapist and the service is available for clients worldwide. Whether you're at home, at work, on the go, in the park, in the bookstore, you can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional therapy done securely online. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. I do live text sessions with my counselor, and they move efficiently since we can each see what we're typing in real time. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change therapists if needed. I want you to try BetterHelp, and we have a special offer for MuggleCast listeners: get ten percent off your first month at BetterHelp.com/mugglecast. Again, get ten percent off at slash mugglecast today. So, like we did last week. I thought we should say a couple nice things about Hufflepuff House, Laura. I think what you said earlier is probably what you were gonna say here, maybe um yeah, okay, um, so I can start so this this conversation has definitely been very enlightening, and I appreciate sitting here and looking at this house for an hour and i definitely, you know i gotta admit i i I too have fallen into that trap of judging hufflepuffs for being flimsy. Uh, for being a joke, because that's what you hear online. And I'm just, I'm just going with the flow. <laughs> but this this conversation has been enlightening. And I, of course, would never want to judge anybody except for those times in the past
2: where I have, I haven't really judged Hufflepuffs. Hey, we're all guilty. I've judged Hufflepuffs. It's
0: cool. Yeah, right. And then you got that Pottermore legend. I know,
2: letter, and you like, really like, oh, I probably oh, can't this do that anymore. okay, I guess. Yeah, yeah I can't do that. But, that's cool.
0: But what I was thinking about is that if Hufflepuff House will take the rest, then I'll go ahead and say they're as cool as anybody in the Harry Potter fandom. The Harry Potter fandom is one of the most welcoming places that I've ever seen. It's a group that definitely takes the rest. I mean, we've spoken about how the fandom consists of a lot of outcasts. So to me, Hufflepuff is kind of, is the Harry Potter fandom. And I, of course, adore the Harry Potter fandom. So my good thing to say about Hufflepuff is Hufflepuff equals Harry Potter fandom. And that makes me want to be a member
2: of Hufflepuff. Crushed it. Crushed it. That's Absolutely beautiful. It. Micah, do you have a nice thing to say? Eric. That's all I have to say. Just Eric.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: it, it's, Thank you. It's I hard guess. between Laura talking about her best friend and yeah. Andrew, this comparison that he just drew. But I would almost say something similar to what I said about Slytherin last week, which is just it's important to remove the label of the house and just look at the people. And as you said, Andrew, about the community being so welcoming, it is really about fandom at the end of the day. It's the fandom that really makes these houses what they are. And I think you can find great people in any of those houses, great friends. We certainly have.
2: Yeah. Well, and, and, and on that note, I'll just say my piece, which is, you know, we've talked about this, that Hufflepuff's have a lot of good qualities that you would want in a friend. So if you think about a friend of yours that you have, Laura, in your case, it is your best friend. Think about why you're friends with this person, what traits they embody that you like about them, whether they're reliable, thoughtful, careful. These are Hufflepuff traits. If you have a very good friend, the chances are they have at the very least qualities you can trust. A Hufflepuff. And these are the qualities that everyone needs. You need a friend to support you and encourage you in life, in your life journey. And that is something toward what Hufflepuff's essence truly is. Well
0: said as well. Love it. We also received some feedback from listeners on our social media channels. We said, what are some good things about Hufflepuff's? Caroline said, Hufflepuff's can do everything the other houses do. They just don't brag about it. I like that. Also, Hufflepuffs value the most important things in their short, spectacular life, relationships and community. She's saying short lives because of Cedric or Uh,
2: Probably. Yeah, we're just going to die, kill the (laughs) spare, set over our corpse. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Petra said,
0: they're the most welcoming house. Not racist or elitist. Let's kids grow on their own terms without peer pressure and molding them to live up to an antic, obsolete standard. Hufflepuff rules and and is the most modern house there is. Krina said, Tonks, need I say more? <laughs> Forever Lana said, Hufflepuff house is so precious to me, there's something so healthy about having a head of house that helps magical plants grow. That's beautiful, Lana. I'm sure Sprout led with kindness and nurturing, but with a realistic viewpoint that isn't idealized. Very well said. And then finally, I liked this comment from James, too. He said, of all the students, the Goblet of Fire chose Cedric, a Hufflepuff, to represent the school in the Triwizard Tournament. Signs, your friendly neighborhood Gryffindor. So Uh, thank you, Gryffindor, for coming forward. Yeah, yeah. Speaking up for Hufflepuff.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I feel really good about that discussion, guys. Yeah. So that's our defense of Hufflepuff.
0: If anybody has any feedback about it. Send it on in mugglecast at gmail dot com or you can use the contact form on mugglecast.com. You can also call us one nine two oh three muggle. That's one nine two oh three six eight four four five three. You can also record a voice memo, keep the message about a minute long, and send that to mugglecast at gmail dot com. And we'll have a Muggle Mail episode in the weeks ahead. And by the way, we've been enjoying these house focused discussions so much that we are going to do Gryffindor and Ravenclaw episodes in the coming weeks. Not next week, next week we're going back to Hogwarts. So we've got other stuff to talk about. We'll have other fun, but then the two episodes after that, the current plan is right now to do Gryffindor and Ravenclaw episodes. So there'll be some nice symmetry there, two houses back to Hogwarts another two houses. Love it. Okay. It's time for quizage.
2: Last week's question asked so well by Micah in my absence. What living creature are both Marvolo Gaunt and Salazar Slytherin compared to in appearance?
3: Mm, tough question.
2: Tough question. We heard from listener Morgan who said, it's not a snake, is it? That seems like that would be an obvious answer, but I'm going to go for it anyway. Final no, answer, gotta snake.
3: Gotta go for the other um, Legends of the Hidden Temple uh, emblem.
2: <laughs> That's right, because the Shrine of the Silver, monkey, everybody. The correct answer <laughs> is monkey. A powerful, aged monkey. Interesting. Don't know what Joe was going for in that. We'll save it for another episode. Correct answers were submitted by The Dark Bort Sherbert Lemon A Lost Packet of Drupal's Best Blowing Gum Petrifyingly Putrid Plotter Potter Plotholes Baby Yoda Order of Merlin First Class Harambe Harambe. (laughs) Hero to Millions TTV Manda Dream Quaffle Dutch Harry Potter fan Newton Tina Forever and Cassie Sanders among others Nice Uh, Next week's question What conceals the entrance to the Hufflepuff common room? You guys knew it was coming. A Hufflepuff <laughs> question for next week.
0: Somebody must submit one of those alternate Hufflepuff translations that Micah brought up earlier as your name next week. Yes. Peace and love. Thank you. Bends the rules. Hoofty mm-hmm. poof. Thanks, everybody, for listening to today's episode. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah.
1: And I'm Laura. Bye, everyone. Bye. Keep calm.
0: And badger on. Where'd you say
3: we're going next week, uh, Andrew? Back to Hogwarts. Choo choo. <laughs> <laughs>